Welcome to the Podcast News, a weekly news show for podcast producers. My name is Aaron Dowd. Here are the most interesting news articles and tutorials for the first week of December 2019. Wow, almost 2020. This week, Podcorn, a native ad platform for podcasters, just launched. Podtrack says unique monthly listeners for the top 10 podcasts that they track decreased in November compared to October. Independent.co.uk predicts that audiobook sales will overtake ebook sales in the UK next year. We Edit Podcasts published a blog post about the 10 key elements of a strong podcast intro and more. Up first this week, Podcorn, a native ad platform for podcasters, just launched. Podcorn's goal, according to their website, is to simplify every aspect of podcast sponsorships and provide an easy way for brands and podcasts to connect. So I've been hearing about Podcorn for a few months, but I really started paying attention after I heard one of the co-founders, Agnes Cozera, interviewed on the Business of Content podcast. Quoting from the Medium blog post for that interview, Agnes Cozera knows a thing or two about helping content creators monetize their content. In 2013, she and a co-founder launched FameBit, a platform that helped YouTubers match with brands that were willing to sponsor their videos. The company was so successful that it was eventually acquired by YouTube in 2016. This year, Cozera and that same co-founder are launching Podcorn, a platform designed to help podcasters monetize their shows. Like FameBit, it will serve as an online marketplace where brands can post requests for proposals for projects and be matched with participating podcasters. End quote there. So I signed up for early access beta just so I could kind of keep an eye on it since my day job at Simplecast involves a lot of answering questions about monetizing podcasts. And because a lot of the things that Agnes said in the interview really resonated with me, rather than share all my thoughts about the the challenges of podcast advertising here, I'll just say go check out that business of content interview to learn more. It was a it was actually a really great interview. Podcorn officially launched this week, and I spent a couple of minutes poking around in the interface earlier in the week. It looks really nice. Uh, it's really easy to get set up, and I'm looking forward to seeing how things turn out for them. And I've actually got an interview with Agnes scheduled for my show this Tuesday. So if you have any questions you'd like me to ask, go ahead and send them over. Assuming, you know, you listen to this before Tuesday, December 10th or 11th. What is it? Yeah, December 10th. Anywho, up next, downloads decreased in November for the top 10 podcast publishers compared to October. From PodTrack's blog, All top 10 publishers saw decreases in U.S. unique monthly audience in November compared to October, consistent with a seasonal dip we saw last November. So just a reminder here, it's normal for downloads to decrease a little bit around the holidays. Don't stress about it. Stay focused on making good episodes and improving your podcasting and marketing skills. From the independent.co.uk website, audiobook sales are predicted to overtake UK ebook sales in 2020. Quote, sales of audiobooks are set to overtake ebooks in 2020. New research suggests figures from consultant firm Deloitte predicts that UK sales of spoken storytelling are set to generate revenue of 115 million pounds in 2020. It would be a 30% increase on audiobook sales in 2018. In comparison, ebooks predicted as the future of reading by The Telegraph in 2009 are the future of reading, are rounding out the decade with a continuing downward trend of ownership. 
Sales of ebooks fell in 2017 by 4% and have continued to falter. End quote. A couple things here. I see an opportunity for podcasters to stop giving away all of their knowledge and good content for free and instead create audiobooks to sell. I think if you know how to make a good podcast, you're most of the way towards knowing how to create an audiobook. Obviously, caveats there because there's more that goes into creating an audiobook than, you know, creating a podcast, but I think you're, you know, you're on your way. Second, I've been listening to the audiobook version of Edward Snowden's new autobiography, Permanent Record, and it is fantastic. It's interesting. I love podcasts, but I also don't mind paying for audiobooks. So if you're looking for ways to monetize content, maybe consider creating an audiobook. For some notable mentions from weeditpodcasts.com, 10 key elements of a strong podcast intro. Quote, Statistics show us that an opinion based on a first impression forms within the first seven seconds of any interaction. That's not long at all. If we put that in the context of your podcast, essentially that means that you have less than 10 seconds to grab the listener's attention and turn them into a loyal fan. But how do you create this great first impression? What does a catchy intro actually consist of? We've thought about this long and hard and have come up with 10 elements we think are key to creating that all-important, amazing podcast intro. Make sure your intro has these elements and you'll turn that curious listener into a fully-fledged fan. Fully-fledged fan. Really good stuff here. If you want to grow your audience, you must get good at writing episode titles and intros. I think uh, that's something that new podcasters struggle with the most, and I think it's one of the main things that prevents podcasts from growing. Great, uh, great work there from We Edit Podcasts. Also, does anyone else ever see that URL and just think Weed It Podcasts? Just me? From Will Williams on podcastmovement.com, planning the jump to a full-time podcast career. Quote, about a year into my work in the podcast space, I started Googling things like how to freelance full-time, how to leave your day job for your side hustle, and turning your hobby into your job. I felt stifled in my nine to five and I could tell that the amount of time and emotional energy it took out of me was coming at the risk of what I considered my real work, podcasting and podcast criticism. Just about every site said the same thing. You'll know when you're ready when you have the ability to leave your day job. That didn't mean anything at all to me until I found myself in that situation. Really good valuable insights here for those of you looking to transition to a full-time career in podcasting. And I'll add two tips from my own experience. First, when you're working in podcasting and helping people make podcasts, everything takes much longer than you'd initially expect. So estimate how long you think something will take you and then triple it. Yes, really, triple it. Second, and I'll give you a disclaimer here, I'm not a lawyer, so you should probably talk to one to get real legal advice. But if you live in the US, put 30% or so of your income into a savings account so you can pay your taxes on time. You'll probably have to pay taxes every quarter and don't expect to get money back at the end of the year either. But don't play around with this or you could end up owing the IRS thousands of dollars, which is not something you want to do when you're trying to make a living working as a freelancer or contractor. I know I have experience with this. I made that mistake and I just now finished paying off taxes that I should have paid back in 2014. Really don't take this lightly. Take it seriously and uh, pay your taxes. All right, next up, from fear to faith to fun, my journey from podcaster to professional voice talent, 
great article from Doree Allen on the Women of Color Podcasters website, wocpodcasters.co. When I started kicking it with Doree Podcast in 2015, I wanted to showcase my authority as a thought leader in the personal development space. First, I listened to podcasts about podcasting. Then I slowly taught myself how to use audio equipment and recording software, which set me up nicely for my eventual voiceover business, where I narrate commercials, web videos, e-learning, and audiobooks. But you know the real reason I started podcasting? Because I was afraid to start a career in voiceovers. Podcasting was a low-pressure way for me to dip my feet in and get used to hearing my own voice and doing the back-end technical work. I had to learn how to edit my own podcast, market my own podcast, and gain the confidence needed as a voiceoverpreneur, or VOpreneur, Vopreneur, I whatever, you get it. Uh, that's a great write-up if you're, uh, if you're considering getting into voiceover work or if that's something you're interested in. Dari talks about what kept her from getting started, how she got started, how much she had to invest to get everything rolling, resources that she found helpful, rates, and a lot more. From prosoundnetwork.com, Melissa Monte on raising your podcast profile, quote, with so many name brand podcast celebrities, networks, and other heavyweights, Getting so much attention in podcasting these days, is it still possible for a smaller or independent podcast to break through and build an audience? Melissa responds, yes, definitely. This just means it's more important than ever to launch with a strategy, and that strategy is defined by your business goals. I know plenty of podcasters who have never ranked in the podcast charts, but their podcast still contributed to multiplying their business efforts. This is a pretty short article, but lots of good takeaways. Check that out. From Podfund on Medium, Kerning Culture's Heba Fisher on going from podcast to network. Quote, Heba Fisher is the co-founder of Kerning Cultures, the first venture-backed podcast company in the Middle East. A serial entrepreneur and journalist, Heba previously built microfinance and business education programs in the Gulf and the States. We chatted with Heba about how and why she started both Kerning Cultures, the podcast, and Kerning Cultures, the company, and what it's like working across seven time zones. If you're thinking about starting a podcast network, check that out. From Mandy Pennington on ResonateRecordings.com, music production versus podcast production, how music production differs from podcast production. Quote, while recorded music has been around for over a century, it's only in the last decade that podcasting has become a phenomena, quickly making its mark on the media industry. Many audio engineers today are trained in music production, recording, and mixing, but are scrambling to translate these talents into the world of podcasting, where work is abundant and the demand is growing exponentially. So what are the similarities between producing music and producing podcasts? End quote. You may not know this, but I was studying music production for about two years before I started helping people make podcasts, and my love for incredible sounding music and audio is why I talk so much and focus so much on the importance of audio quality. But here's what I've learned. Making a podcast sound good is a lot easier than making a recording of a full band sound good. There's just far fewer elements and variables. If you really want to contribute to the success of a podcast and get paid real money, I'd recommend studying editing, post-production, marketing, audience growth, and the other things that podcasters routinely struggle with. Getting good sound for a podcast is fairly easy, but launching a show and keeping it going and growing its audience is not as easy. 
From Dan Meisner on Pacific Content's blog, podcast episodes got shorter in 2019. Pretty self-explanatory headline there. There's a super interesting graph on that post showing how the length of podcast episodes has changed over time. It looks like podcast episodes were pretty short back in the mid-2000s when podcasting was a brand new medium. Then episodes slowly got longer until about 2014 and have since been declining in length and are almost back to 2005 lengths. But as Dan wrote, your goal should be to make episodes that are long enough to fit into your listeners' lives in a regular, ongoing, meaningful way and no longer. From Reddit, user PitifulNose asks, what is your strategy for getting more Patreon subscribers? Quote, I am curious what everyone is doing to get Patreon subscribers. What is working? What isn't working? What type of marketing or specific messaging helped? We've only been in the game three months. We have about 600 podcast subscribers, but only a handful of paying Patreon subscribers. Looking to try some new things next year. Interested to hear from others on this topic. Okay, first off, uh, I would like to point out that you don't know that you actually have 600 podcast subscribers. I'm guessing that you probably have about 600 regular downloads for your new episodes, but that doesn't necessarily translate to subscribers or even listens. But anyways, a helpful reply from user Bluntly Bipolar. 600 subs and a handful of supporters sounds about right, really. You generally expect less than 1% because most people don't engage with internet content in any kind of deep way. Patreon is a way for the people that love your work to support it. Not like it, not think it's good, not think it's great, but love. That's not going to be a high percent. Standard website engagement and conversion rates are generally within the 1% to 3% range. I'd focus on growing your audience more than I'd worry about Patreon right now. If you're even approaching 1%, you're already doing well. Finally, starting a new thing that I'm calling the discussion topic for the week. This week's discussion question, does social media make you feel worse? From Delilah Dawson on Twitter, quote, honest question here, does social media make you feel worse? I used to love it, love connecting with people, but Twitter has changed so much in the past decade. Now it makes me feel alone and jealous and endangered, which makes me want to online shop. Not sure how to change it. So I think Delilah is speaking specifically about Twitter here, even though the question is about social media in general. I keep going back and forth on this. Some days I love Twitter. Some days it makes me feel like garbage. It mostly seems to be related to who I follow and what I pay attention to. But it feels like Twitter has become mostly an outrage machine and much more so uh, than before, I think, 2016 and the election that was uh, that happened then. I have to constantly remind myself these days to not let things I read on Twitter get me riled up or outraged, which makes me wonder, why am I spending so much time on it? Um, let me know what you think. Send your thoughts or opinions to Aaron at the podcastdude.com and let me know if you're okay with me including them in the notes for the next episode. All right, that's going to do it for the show today. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Please share this show with a friend, send feedback, thoughts, or cool stories, or articles to Aaron at the podcastdude.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a review and rating in Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe to the email newsletter to support the show and get full episodes and other exclusive content. Just head over to the podcastnews.substack.com. I greatly appreciate it. I will see you next week with more podcast news and tutorials. In the meantime, have a great week and happy podcasting. <laughs>